0: I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles tonight to James chapter 5, please. James chapter 5. We're going to start in the 13th verse. James is writing as a, a pastor of the church at Jerusalem to the Jews that are uh, believing Jews that are scattered abroad, uh, primarily scattered because of the persecution that came, uh, the third wave of persecution that came against uh, the church in uh, Jerusalem. And uh, that, the Bible tells us, scattered people from uh to all quarters and uh, so he's writing giving some instruction these are uh, some of the people that are scattered used to be his church members i would assume and so he's uh, giving them a pastoral message in, uh, uh to wherever they now reside and notice what he said we'll start in verse 13 of james chapter 5 he says is any among you afflicted the word afflicted means trouble persecution hardship or tribulation in other words anybody going through a hard place I want you to notice the Holy Ghost cared enough about you and I and our difficulties here on the earth. And Jesus said we'd have trouble. He said in this world you'll have adversity, but be not, uh, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. So here's the Holy Ghost giving you instruction if you're in a hard place. He says, any among you afflicted, let him pray. Notice it doesn't say get other people to pray for you. It says you pray. Because God hears your prayers quicker than he will somebody else's prayers for you. Is any among you afflicted or in in the middle of adversity? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Isn't it interesting? Brother Hagen used to say this. It's interesting how people will try to get other people to pray for them when they're in trouble, but nobody asks somebody else to sing for them when things are good. We don't get any, any singing requests from the church here at the church. Nobody ever writes me a note and says, Pastor Mike, things are so good. Please sing for me. Everybody's willing to do their own singing, aren't they? Yeah. In the same manner, we should do our own praying. doesn't mean it's it's wrong to get somebody to pray for you, but don't let that take the place of your prayers. Is any among you afflicted or in the middle of adversity? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. It seems like pretty simple instruction. Here's what to do when you're in a hard place. Pray. Here's what to do when you're happy. Sing. Is any sick among you? The implication is there shouldn't be, because there is instructions, specific instruction for overcoming. Is any sick among you? Now, this word sick, W.E. Vines brings out in his expository dictionary of New Testament words, he brings out that this word sick does, is not just a generic term, sick, is any of you not feeling well? This word sick literally means in the manner in which it's used in the grammatical construction of the sentence and so forth, that it means, is any among you beyond doing anything for yourself? Because you could well imagine that sickness is, is trouble or hardship or the affliction that he's just spoken of in verse 13. Well, I'm being attacked with sickness, Pastor Mike. Well, what does the Bible say? Do pray. But there are times where we get past being able to do something for ourselves. That's what verse 14 means. Is any among you past doing anything for yourself? I don't know about you, but I'm convinced. I've I've walked this out for almost 30 years. I have not found anybody that's more concerned about my physical well-being than me. No matter how close they are to God, no matter how much they love God or love people or anything else, I have not found anybody that's more concerned about my circumstances than I am. And so for that reason, if I'm experiencing uh, an attack of sickness, I'm not going to somebody else first. Because Jesus is the healer and I don't have to wait to get to him. But there are times where we need help. No condemnation about that. Sometimes we just need help. Sometimes that help we need is agreement. Sometimes we need more help than that. And that's what James is talking about in verse 14. He said, is any sick among you? Any of you past doing something for yourself in the area of physical healing? Well, here's instruction for him. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with all in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith might save the sick. And you never know if you find somebody that's got a special anointing, you might get better. No, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Now, we need to ask ourselves a question first and foremost, and that is, is this verse of Scripture inspired by the Holy Ghost? Because if it's not, we've got a page to tear out of our Bible. But if this verse of Scripture is inspired by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost is saying, here's God saying, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. God's not leaving himself any wiggle room. He's not saying unless now, you know, there are certain circumstances whereby. No, he says the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Can I ask you a question? Who determines the prayer of faith being prayed? Isn't that you? Don't you have a choice of whether or not to pray the prayer of faith? Now, the prayer of faith he's talking about is the prayer prayer that the elders pray over you. So it presupposes that the elders know something about healing being for us. It presupposes that they know, the elders of the church... And James, as the pastor of the church at the mother church in Jerusalem, would certainly know that the elders there in that church know that Jesus obtained for us a perfect redemption. What I mean by that is, when he went to the cross and took our infirmities, when, I'm sorry, when he went to the cross and was uh, wounded for our transgressions and carried our iniquities, he didn't leave one sin out. He carried them all. He paid the price for every sin that mankind has ever committed or even been tempted to commit. He covered the whole thing. In other words, you could never go to God and say, Lord, I'm asking you for forgiveness for this sin or that sin. And the Lord answer and say, you know, that wasn't part of the package. You can't imagine a sin, a sin that you would never even consider uh, acting out or committing. You can't even imagine a sin that's not part of the package. In other words, Jesus justified you from every sin known to mankind. And all you have to do is believe in it. All you have to do to be free of every sin that has ever plagued mankind from the beginning is to accept by faith. Right? Well, that's a perfect redemption where sin is concerned. But the Bible says that the same work that Jesus undertook to pay the price for sin, he undertook to pay the price for sickness. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we were healed. Now, when was he wounded? When was he bruised? Wasn't that on the cross? Well, when did he take stripes upon his back? Wasn't that upon the cross? Wasn't that the, the work that Pilate did and Pilate's so, the soldiers, Roman soldiers did in Pilate's court? Just before they sent him to the cross, put the, the cross on his back and sent him to Calvary? Wasn't that all part of the crucifixion process? Wasn't that part of his examination before he hung on the cross? Well, the Bible says that because of those stripes that he took on his back, and the fact that he bore our iniquities or bore our uh, griefs and carried our sicknesses, literally griefs and pains is uh, in the King James, as it's translated, is sickness and infirmities. It says he bore those just like he bore our iniquities and transgressions. Same verses of Scripture saying both. You can't take out part of the verse and say, uh, this in the verse is Isaiah 53.5. You can't take out the first part of Isaiah 53.5 and say, Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Oh, thank God we're forgiven from sin. That's not the whole verse. You've got to include the rest of it because Jesus obtained for us a perfect, a complete redemption. So James is presupposing that these elders know that. He knows the church of Jerusalem knows that. So he says, is any sick among you beyond doing anything for yourself? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them, the elders, pray over him, anointing him with all in the name of the Lord. Now, notice what saves or heals the sick. The word save is translated heal in other places. For example, in Mark chapter five, in verse thirty four, where Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. That word whole is the same word save. The same word is used for physical healing in a number of places throughout Jesus ministry. Now here's the Holy Ghost inspiring James to use the same word, and the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. Shall save. Shall heal. Shall heal the sick. Shall heal the sick. Shall heal the sick. If somebody was in our midst today and they came to the altar to get saved, but instead of letting us pray for them, they just fell down on their knees and started talking about all the things they'd done and how much they want to get saved, but they just know it's not possible. Wouldn't every one of us gather around and say, no, 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 you don't understand. There's nothing you can do that keeps the saving power of Jesus from being yours if you'll just accept it. Right? Would any of us back up and say, wait a minute, what kind of sin are you talking about? Would any of us hear the list and finally get to one and say, oh, wow, gee, I, I thought you were talking about lying or stuff like that. My goodness. Of course not. Because we all understand that every sin was paid for. Well, which sicknesses are not? Same work of Jesus, same blood of Jesus spilled. Which sicknesses were not paid for? And the prayer of faith. Notice it's not the elders that get the job done. They pray. They've got a part to play, but it's not them. It doesn't say if the elders are righteous enough. And notice it's not the oil. They anoint them with all in the name of the Lord. That signifies that this is God's property. All was used in the Old Testament and among the Jews. All the, the anointing with oil is never talked about to the Gentile church. Paul never says a word about it to the Gentiles because it's not typical to the Gentile uh, experience or culture. But the Jews know something about anointing with all. God commanded the things that were separated unto him to be anointed with all. It signified the presence of the Spirit of God upon those things as they are used in service for the Lord. So anointing with oil signifies that your body was bought and paid for by Jesus. It signifies the presence of the Holy Spirit that has separated and cleansed you and made you holy, you, your body, holy under the service of the Lord. But it's not even the oil. I mean, that's pretty good. I mean, the the type and the signification there is pretty, pretty good. But it's not even the oil that does it. I'm glad it's not, because we'd have to wonder, do we have enough of this special kind of oil? I get amused when I see people selling bottles of oil for an offering. We'll send you an anointed bottle of oil. An anointed bottle of oil? The oil is anointed? Really? I thought you are supposed to use the oil to anoint something. People got things all screwed up. But it's not the oil that does it. The oil is a type of the Holy Spirit, but it's not the oil that does it. Well, what is it that does it? The prayer of faith. This word prayer literally means vow. The declaration of faith. The declaration that something was done and accomplished by Jesus. And faith in that which was done by Jesus shall heal the sick. Now notice the last phrase. And the Lord shall raise him up. And the Lord shall raise him up. You know what it's saying? It's saying very simply this. There's a part for the person that's sick. Their job is is, uh, first and foremost to go to the Lord. But if they get to the place where they need help, fine. No problem with that whatsoever. Then they call for the elders of the church. Now, the elders have a part. The elders pray or make that declaration of faith over them. And they anoint them with oil, which signifies your body belongs to the Lord, just like your spirit does. Jesus paid the price for both. He paid the price for your spirit by forgiving sins. He paid the price for your body. By taking sickness upon him. But after that, it's all in the Lord's hands. And the Lord might raise him up. Now, same shall used in healing the sick. Says the Lord shall raise him up. And the Lord shall raise him up. Yeah, but what if they've committed sins? And if he's committed sins, James must know what people think. He's probably worked enough with people to understand how this goes. And if he's committed sins, doesn't say that he's gonna that that's the cause of his sickness, but some cases there is sin involved. And if he's committed sins, you're gonna to have to pray a special, special, special kind of prayer. Bring a special offering. Make a special vow or dedication to the Lord. Because you've got to fix that before you can expect God to do anything for you. No, it says and if he's committed sins, he shall they shall be forgiven him. It doesn't even say you have to pray a separate prayer for sins. Why? Because the same declaration of faith in what Jesus has done for the physical body is the declaration of faith in what Jesus did for our spirit, the price that he paid for sins. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Verse 16, confess your faults. The word faults simply means sins. We think of faults as being somebody that's late, habitually late, or something like that. He's not talking about that. He's saying, confess your sins one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Now, when's the only time that I would confess my sins to you? If I've wronged you. See, some people have the idea that we're supposed to confess whatever we've ever done. And, and messes have been made by people standing up and saying, oh, I just need to confess this and get it off my chest. That's not what the Bible says. It says, confess your faults or your sins one to another. In other words, if I do you wrong, I need to make it right with you. If I haven't done you wrong, I don't have anything to confess to you. Yeah, does that mean you never sin, Pastor Mike? No, it means when I sin, I confess to the one that I sinned against, and that's God. Not you. Confess your faults or your sins one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. What's he saying? He's saying the grudges and the unforgiveness that we hold against another, one another sometimes hinders our healing from taking place. Sometimes people fail to get healed, not because they've done something wrong with God or toward God, but because they've done something wrong toward their fellow brother or sister or fellow believer. And what they need to do is they need to make that right. And that clears the channel so that they can receive their healing. And isn't that just what Jesus said in Mark chapter 11 in verse 25, after he's told us what faith does and how we can uh, operate faith by the words of our mouth and in prayer. Verse 25, he says, and when you stand praying, forgive. If you have all against any. Now, why is he talking about forgiveness in relation to faith, the operation of faith? Because unforgiveness is the number one hindrance that will keep your faith from working. James, inspired by the Holy Ghost, seemed to be on the same page. Confess your faults or your sins one to another. If you've done something against someone, in other words, and pray one for another that you may be healed. does not say pray for them to be healed. It says pray that you may be healed. In other words, fix things with your brother to open the channel for you to be, receive your healing. He's still talking about the same thing. Now why is that important? Because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And you can't pray effectively if you're in unforgiveness. If you've got all against your brother, you can't have, you can't be a, in a, a place to pray effectively. But he says the effectual fervent prayer, the heartfelt fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Oh, that's it, Pastor Mike, if only I was righteous. That's where the devil tries to attack our minds, isn't it? If only we were good enough. Well, look at the example that he uses of a righteous man. First of all, he speaks of Elijah, and Elijah was unsaved. He was an Old Testament prophet. Nobody under the Old Testament could be saved. The, the example he uses of a righteous man is an Old Testament prophet. Now, what about do we know about Elijah? It says, a man, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the earth, heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Now, what do we know about Elijah? We know that Elijah was used in a great way by the things of uh, in the things of God, used by the Lord in a mighty, mighty way. First thing that happens is Elijah comes on the scene and says to Ahab, the king of Israel, who is a very wicked king, maybe the wickedest of all the kings of Israel. He says to, to Ahab, it's not going to rain again till I say so. And then he takes off. Now, a lot of things happen. A lot of things happen at that point. Of there there begins a great drought. Well, what's the prophet going to do when there's no crops being harvested or grown? Well, God says, go by a certain brook the brook of Cherith, and I'll command the ravens to come and feed you. So in the middle of this drought, for a certain period of time, we don't know how long, for for a short period of time at least, we've got Elijah that's drinking branch water and eating food that ravens are bringing him in the morning and in the evening. Now, if he's a stickler for the law of Moses, that's a problem because anything a raven, which is an unclean bird, a scavenger type bird would touch, would be unclean. So it's, you know, I guess except that God told him this is the way it's going to be. Elijah could sit there with a pile of food growing day by day by day saying, I can't eat that. Doesn't seem to be conforming to the law of Moses, does it? But a drought is about not having water. And so pretty soon the drought dries the brook up. After that, he sends him to a certain town and said, I've got a widow woman that's going to sustain you there. You remember the story? He gets to Zarephath. Finds a widow, finds a woman coming out. She's gathering two sticks. So he says, woman, I pray thee, make me a little cake. She says, as the Lord lives, I don't have anything to make it with. All I've got is a little handful of meal and a, a little drop of oil, a couple of drops of oil and a cruise. My plan for today was to gather two sticks and make a fire. How big a fire can you make with two sticks? Bake the last little bit for my son and I, myself and then die. That's her to-do list for the day. And so Elijah says, okay, well, that's uh, I understand your plan, but make me something first. And you remember the story how the cruise of oil and the barrel of meal didn't fail. God kept supplying it day by day. He didn't fill it up to the top, but he gave more enough for each day for the period of time for as long as Elijah was there. Then the Lord speaks to Elijah and says, go back to Ahab. So he does. He goes to Ahab, and he stands before Ahab, who has his wife Jezebel, has these 450 prophets of Baal, and Elijah challenges them. said, how long halt you between two opinions? Let's have a contest. Let's both build an altar and call on our gods. You call on Baal, and I'll call on Jehovah God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God that answers by fire. Let him be God. Ahab says, that sounds good to me. Can you can't really imagine that Ahab is expecting Elijah to get any results, can you? Why would he agree to that contest if he thought Elijah could get results? So you remember the story. The Prophets of Baal jump and scream and do all the kind of stuff. They cut themselves with stones and do all kinds of crazy things, and he starts making fun of them. Maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Finally, after a certain period of time, Elijah says, all right, you've had enough time. He rebuilds the altar where they've been jumping up and down acting crazy. Rebuilds the altar, digs a trench around the the altar and commands that they bring, what was it, six water pots of water, something like that, and soak the altar, and it soaked the wood, it soaked the sacrifice, it soaked everything around, and there was water running over that filled the trench. Now, folks, water is the most precious thing there is in a drought, and he's commanding them to take a lot of water and soak this thing down. And finally, he says one prayer, he says, Lord... Show that you're God, that I'm your servant, and that I've done these things as your word. Fire falls from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, burns up the wood, laps up the water in the trench, and burns and consumes the stones. Then it says Elijah, he didn't command it to be done. Elijah takes a sword and kills those 450 prophets of Baal. We're talking about a rough and ready guy, aren't we? So far, this looks like a guy that has done things that nobody else has done before. I mean, he's one of a kind, right? But then Jezebel hears that he killed her prophets. Those prophets, those men that she used to control the people on behalf of the king. She controlled the people, therefore she controlled the king. So she threatens him. She says, so shall, when the word comes to her, she says, so shall I do unto Elijah by this time tomorrow. Now, Elijah, the man of great faith and power, hears that and takes off running. Here's what a righteous man looks like. He does great exploits on some occasions. And then he gets scared and he takes off, runs for the hills. Sits up under a juniper tree and starts complaining. He says, oh, God, just let me die. There's nobody left but me. I'm the only faithful one out there. I can see a couple of problems with Elijah. First of all, he's thinking too highly of himself because the Lord says, no, you don't understand. I've got 7,000 people that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You're one of 7,000. Elijah thought he was number one, numero uno. God says, you're only one of 7,000. Plus, the second thing I see about Elijah is that he's a liar. He lets his emotions control him, just like we sometimes let our emotions control us. Because he gets up, uh, up there and starts crying out to God and says, oh, Lord, just let me die. If he wanted to die, he could have stayed where Jezebel was and she could have taken care of that. There's only one reason he ran up into the mountain, and that was to live. Yet he gets up there and starts complaining to God and saying, oh, just let me die. Well, he didn't mean let me die any more than you've cried out to God and said, let me die in the same manner. So it doesn't sound like this guy is always on track, does it? He did some great things, but just like the scripture says, he was a man subject to like passions. In other words, he missed it just like you miss it. Yet that's the example that the Bible used. An unsaved man that's subject to the same emotional shifts that we have in our daily lives is the example that is used as a righteous man who prayed and got great results. Now, James is trying to show us by the Holy Ghost, here's the importance of keeping ourselves in the love of God and in the forgiveness of God between one another, walking in forgiveness toward one another, because that maintains our righteous condition, not our righteous relationship, but our righteous condition or fellowship with God so that we can get the answers to our prayers. I would submit that every one of you are more righteous than Elijah ever was because of the blood of Jesus. He's not through talking yet. Notice he says, and all this is in context to getting your prayers answered, your prayer in verse 13. If you're in trouble, pray. If you're married, sing songs. And if there's any sick among you, Let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Then he says, confess your faults one to another. And pray for one another that you might be healed. Everything that he's talking about regarding Elijah and the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availing much, everything he's talking about is so that you get your prayers answered so that you can get yourself out of trouble through prayer and so that you can receive your healing through prayer. Everything. And he continues in verse 18. I'm sorry, verse 19. It says, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Now, I would submit to you, first of all, that the sinner he's talking about is not the unsaved person because he said in verse 19, if any of you err from the truth. Now, what truth is he talking about? Well, certainly that would be truth concerning forgiveness. If we see someone or if we ourselves catch ourselves in that we have strayed from walking in forgiveness and we're holding unforgiveness or a grudge against somebody else, then we've erred from the truth. But wouldn't it also be erring from the truth if we're looking to some other manner or some other means for healing other than the instruction that he gives us or some other means to escape our trouble, except the instruction or other than the instruction that the Holy Ghost gives us in verses 13 and verse 15. Bible says in the Old Testament, the king Asa was sick and he sought the physicians and he died. What James is saying by the Holy Ghost is you've got to keep your eye on the Lord if you expect to get results from him. Let's finish reading and we'll make our comments. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, that would be err from the truth concerning healing. The instructions he just gave us for healing. And one convert him. In other words, and somebody help him to get back on track, get his eyes on the Lord. Let him know that he which converteth the sinner, not talking about getting somebody saved, he's talking about getting the believer back, his eyes back on the Lord. Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death. Well, how many Christians have died because they haven't sought the Lord for healing? Shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. You know the problem with, with most of the modern day churches, I see it? They've got one eye on the Lord and one eye on the doctor. Oh yes, Pastor Mike, we believe in healing. But they believe in what the doctor says as much as they believe in what the word says. Now that's not true in every case. There's going to be exceptions. And I hope you are the exception to that. You should be. But you remember the Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. I'm I'm uh, I'm pretty well convinced that the best place for us to be is for the doctors to have given up on us and saying there's nothing else he can do. Because that seems to be the place where most people turn to the Lord and trust him completely. When they come to the point where, well, the doctor says he can't do anything else. He's tried everything. So there's nothing else he can do for us. So there's nothing left for us except to trust the Lord. That's a great place to be. It's a shame that we have to do that out of desperation or as a last resort. Now, you remember the story in John chapter 5? It's the story of the man at the pool of Bethesda. It says there's a lot of sick people there, a lot of people that are that are crippled. And have varying, um, different diseases, various diseases, and so forth. It says that Jesus walks up there. Now, here's the Holy Ghost prompting him to do that. Everybody is there, and uh, tradition tells us that um, uh, that there was some rich guy that built these five porches full, uh, or five porches. The Bible tells us there were five porches full of sick people, halt, lame, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Well, some uh, tra- tradition tells us that some rich guy built these uh, sheds, shade areas, porches for people to lay under because for many, many years at different times, an angel would come down and trouble the water. And when that water was troubled, the first one in got healed. Now, we have to assume that by trial and error, they knew how this worked. Nobody ever knows when the angel is coming, which means he's not on a set schedule. They know that the first one in gets healed, meaning the second one in doesn't get anything. Now, think about how that works. We've got this thing, uh, you know, all programmed in our mind, and our thinking, like there's some honor system. Maybe a numbering system like at uh, at the post office or at Baskin-Robbins or somewhere. And there's some kind of orderly procession whereby these things happen. But folks, this is a madhouse. You've got people just waiting to see a ripple. And, And I would imagine that the way they found out that only the first one gets healed is there are people jumping in at the same time. We're talking photo finishes here. Wouldn't it be something to think that you were the first one in and somebody beat you by a fraction of a fraction of a second? They get something and you don't get something. Bible says first one in. Jesus walks among those people and finds one man and knew that he had been in that case for a long time. He'd been there for 38 years. He said, wilt thou be made whole? Now, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is asking him, what are you looking at? Jesus knows why he was sent. He knows what power he's been given and anointed with to heal the sick. At this point in time, he's had meetings where multitudes of people were healed. He's had different situations where everybody in the crowd that was sick was healed. And he healed them all and so forth. He's had a multitude of situations just like this. He sees a crowd. I guess he, he uh, it would be interesting to know. I could speculate, but I I would have no way to be sure. But it would be interesting to know why Jesus didn't stop there and preach about the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to heal the sick. That would seem like a very interested crowd. But that's natural thinking because there's nobody there that would take their eyes off the water to look at him, even if he was preaching about healing the sick. And I think that's a big picture Of what we have a lot of, to a great degree, a lot of in the modern day church. If I was there, part of that crowd, thinking that the water and the angel coming and troubling the water was the only hope I had, you're not getting my eyes off that water. For me, forget those porches. I'm going to be sitting in the water. Wait for the angel to come. I don't understand why people weren't in the water. Maybe they've tried that and found that didn't work. I don't know. But I'm sure not going to be interested in some salesman that comes by trying to get my attention when I'm waiting for that water. And that's exactly how Jesus would have been perceived. So Jesus asked this one man. He said, "Wilt thou be made whole? Wilt thou be made whole? You know what he's asking him? He's asking him, will you look away from the water to the way that God has sent healing To be received. Well the guy's got all kinds of excuses. Don't we all? Sir I have no man. When the water is troubled to put me in the water. But while I'm coming down. Another gets there before me. In other words he's saying my problem is I'm too slow. Now people can make all kinds of excuses. And they do. My problem is my past. My problem is stuff that I've done. My problem is I don't have enough faith. You can come up with any variety of excuses that you want to. But Jesus is still asking him the same question, and it's only one question. Wilt thou be made whole? Wilt thou be made whole? Now think about what that that question asks, really asks. It's saying, do you will to be healed? If Jesus gets him to answer yes, he knows he's the one sent to minister healing from the Father. All he's getting to, trying to get the guy to do is say yes. And the guy never even says it. Never even says it. Don't tell me that everything has to be right for you to get healed. Don't tell me that every little T has to be crossed and every little I has to be dotted. Don't you tell me that that's the only way that it works. The mercy of God's a lot bigger than that. The mercy of God that's exemplified in the ministry of Jesus didn't work that way. This guy really never even answers the question. He just tells what the problems are. And then finally Jesus says, rise, take up your bed and walk. He leaves it up to him. If you will be healed, then take a step forward. Do something you can't do. Rise, take up your bed and walk. Now, I don't know how it worked. I don't know if the guy just stopped and said, well, okay, I'll give it a shot. Or if he felt strength and then he moved. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But the end result is the man is healed. That's the same question that James is instructed by the Holy Ghost to ask us. Will you be made whole? If so, here's the instruction. It's very simple. Very simple. Let me read you something. Well, before, turn with me back to Psalm 97. I'll let you start turning there before, uh, before we read. Let me ask you a question. How is your healing going to come? Now I'm, I don't mean this to be a smart aleck question. These are questions that I ask myself. See, I've come to the place where the doctors say there's nothing they can do. Didn't matter to me. I wasn't looking at the doctors to begin with. If the doctors can identify what to believe for, fine. But I've come to the place where the doctors say there's nothing I can do. We can run a couple more tests and give you more specific information about what something might be. But that test that they want, that they're proposing to do, is kind of like a spinal tap deal. Well, what's the point in doing that? Just so that they can say it's one thing or another? What do I care? I don't care what name you put on it. What I care about is healing. So I've come to the point where the doctors say there's nothing they can do. Nobody is offering me any help. I told you about this new doctor that I'm going to that's helping me eat right. Man, I feel better in the last month than I felt maybe ever. But I went to the doctor not looking for him to heal me. I went to the doctor looking for him to help make me healthy. And He saw him the other day, and he said, look, I want you to understand. He said, Pastor Mike, he said, I would love to be able to tell you that we can do something to fix this. He said, I'm not even hoping for that. He said, if we can do some things through your nutrition and so forth that can reduce, you know, the symptoms and stuff like that. He said, that's that's great. He said, that, that would be the top shelf as far as I'm concerned. And I laughed, and I just said, well, that's okay, Doc. I wasn't looking for you to heal me anyway. You help me know how to be healthy. Do the right thing so I can be healthy. That's great. That's all I'm looking for. I've got somebody working on the other side for healing. But I've had to ask myself, what's healing going to look like for me? Is it going to reduce? Are the tremors going to be, are going to be begin to lessen? Or am I just going to wake up one day or move one moment and all of a sudden everything's gone? How's it going to go? What's healing going to look like? I don't think people think things through. I look at Abraham and Abraham looked at the, the test that was standing before him, offering Isaac on the altar. He thought this thing through. He thought, all right, if I kill him, God will raise him from the dead. If I don't kill him, The promise of God is fulfilled. And he must have convinced Isaac because Isaac willingly laid down as the sacrifice to be altered, offered. That's quite a father-son talk, wouldn't you agree? Think of what Isaac had to be convinced of. He had to be convinced that Abraham knew God so well that it's going to be one of these two ways. Either... I'm going to take this knife and thrust it into your heart and you're going to die. But don't worry if that happens because God will raise you from the dead because you're the one he said the promise would be fulfilled through. Or another option is that I'll offer you, begin to offer you as a sacrifice and he'll stop me before it takes place and say, okay, I see that you believe me. I'm thinking Isaac is probably saying, I vote for option two. But either way, Isaac had to be convinced because of Abraham's confidence in his relationship with God. So how's healing going to come? I've seen it work both ways. I've seen people with situations where their their symptoms just began to go away, began to lessen little by little by little. Pretty soon it was gone, never to return, and that was it. Well, they were happy. And I've seen things disappear instantly. I say instantly, I mean in a moment of time. They may have believed for it for a long time before before anything ever happened. So what about me? Which way is it going to go? I don't have an answer. I really haven't had in my heart to pray and, and seek the answer from the Lord. I don't think that knowing the answer matters to me. I think considering all the options is what matters. So what's it going to be? I don't know. Well, Pastor Mike, do you feel strong in faith? No, let me tell you something, folks. Let me tell you something I've learned. When you can't stop your hand from shaking, you find out how much power you've got. I'm real, real convinced of how powerless I am. Maybe that's part of the process. Don't know. Don't care. I get up here and I preach. And there's a confidence and there's a boldness and there's a strength in my preaching. But that's the anointings to help you. I don't have that all the time. I have the same questions that everybody else has. I have the same opportunities to doubt that everybody else has. And so I can tell you that what it, what it really bottom line comes down to for me is that the only thing that I know is that the word of God says Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sickness. And with his stripes I was healed. That's all I know. Sometimes I feel more confident that, in that than at other times, just like you, just like everybody. Sometimes the devil bombards my mind to such a degree, and usually it's when I feel like I'm an embarrassment, when I can't stop things in front of other people. I don't enjoy doing weddings anymore because you, I try to be dignified, I try to be still, I try to, and I just make a mess of things. And I feel like I'm embarrassing the people that I'm trying to be a blessing to. And that's no fun. So at times like that, boy, I mean, the devil tries to move in. He'll park. Just start screaming in my ear. And I'm just like everybody else. All I've got to answer with is what Jesus answered him with, and that's the word. By the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. Well, you sure don't look healed. No, I sure don't feel healed either. But that doesn't change the truth of the word. I was healed by the stripes of Jesus. So how's healing come? How's it going to come for you? Does it matter? See, some people have got it all figured out. Oh, here's how my healing's going to work. My healing's going to be instant. Soon as somebody lays hands on me, somebody, soon as somebody prays, my healing is going to come instantly. Well, if it doesn't, if that's what they put their faith in, now they're shattered. Now they need to be put back together. what was their faith really in was their faith in healing from heaven or was their faith in instant results see what I mean I've determined to put my faith in something that no matter what the circumstance is it can't shake it and the only thing that I can come up with is the truth of the word did you find Psalm 97 yet let me show you what God does with his enemies Would we all agree that sickness is an enemy? Remember where we started, James 5, verse 15? Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, shall heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And the Lord shall raise him up. And the Lord shall raise him up. I'm not sure how many people put themselves in the hands of God to finish the project. Because that's really what James five, fifteen is talking about. He's talking about calling, following specific instructions to put yourself in the hands of the Lord. And the Lord shall raise him up. And the Lord shall raise him up. I'm not sure how many people put themselves in the hands of the Lord to do the job. Here's what God does. Psalm 97, verse 1. The Lord reigneth. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitudes of islands be glad. Clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of His throne. A fire goeth before Him and burneth up His enemies round about. I'm going to read that verse again. A fire goes before Him and burns up His enemies round about. A fire goes before Him. That means wherever God is on the scene, there is a fire that goes in front of Him or before Him and burns up the enemies. His lightnings enlightened the world. The earth saw and trembled. The hills, literally the word hills is the word mountains. The mountains melted like wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth, the heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. Now, folks, is there anything that represents the strength of this physical realm more than a mountain? I mean, man can't even conquer mountains. He can climb them. He can tunnel through them. He can blow parts of them up, but nobody ever blows up a whole mountain. Maybe hills or something like that, but real mountains? Man doesn't even blow those up. Nobody messes with mountains. You can bomb them and they're still there. But the Bible says that the mountains melt like wax before the Lord. Do you realize that there is coming a literal day when God is going to peel back the universe like a sheet? That the earth, everything about this physical realm, everything that looks to us to be so real and so sure and so absolute and everything we can touch and feel and all that other kind of stuff, where the earth will be consumed with the word of God? That's the God that made a promise to you for healing. A fire goes before him and burns up or consumes his enemies. Let me read something to you, an experience that Wigglesworth. Talked about I spent the afternoon with Wigglesworth today, so I'm. Kind of on top on his thing right now, he said this, he said, I went to a certain place one day and the Lord said, this is for my glory A young man had been sick for a long time, confined to his bed in an utterly hopeless condition. He was fed only with a spoon and was never dressed. The weather was damp, so I said to the people of the house, I wish you would put the young man's clothes by the fire to air. At the first, they would not take any notice of my request, but because I was persistent, at least they they at last got out his clothes, and then when they were aired, I took them into his room. The Lord said to me, you will have nothing to do with this. And I just lay out prostrate on the floor. The Lord showed me that he was going to shake the place with his very glory. The very bed shook. I laid my hands on the young man in the name of Jesus. And the power fell in such a way that I fell with my face to the floor. In about a quarter of an hour, the young man got up and walked up and down praising God. He dressed himself and then went out into the room where his father and his mother were. And he said, God has healed me. Both the father and mother fell prostrate to the floor as the power of God surged through that room. There was a woman in that house who had been in the asylum for lunacy, and her condition was so bad that they were about to take her back, but the power of God healed her too. The power of God is just the same today as of old. Men need to be taken back to the old past, to the old-time faith, to believe God's word, and every thus saith the Lord therein. The Spirit of the Lord is moving in these days. God is coming forth. If you want to be in the rising tide, you must accept all that God has said. Wilt thou be made whole? It is Jesus who says it. Give him your answer. He will hear and he will answer. Now, folks, that's the God we serve. The God that stands before the mountains and speaks and they melt like wax. The God that there is a fire that goes before him and consumes his enemies. The God that's going to peel the heavens back like a sheet. That's the God we serve. That's the one that Jesus is asking. Will you allow him to heal you? Wilt thou be made whole? That's the one that James is speaking to, is speaking of by the Holy Ghost. When he says, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing with all in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. If you're here tonight and you want to have us lay hands on you and anoint you with oil, If you're ready to put yourself in the hands of God. For him to do the work. Then I want you to come forward. Just line up across the front if you will please. The ushers if you guys can help them. Put your toes on the the edge of that uh, brown platform, plat, uh, that what's that called? Carpet. Thank you. Side by side. Don't stand behind anybody, please. Why don't we stand in the congregation? I want you to participate with us, if you will, please. Is this it? Okay, I don't want anybody else to come forward, then. This is it. The reason I say that is because I don't want anybody to be moved by what you see. Sometimes what happens is people start laying hands on folks and somebody in the crowd will sense an anointing. They'll think, oh, okay, now I want to go. Nope. Ushers, please don't let anybody else in the line. Have any problem, folks? They're doing what I asked. Hallelujah. I want you to close your eyes and realize that you're putting yourselves in the hands of the Lord, the God of the universe, the one before whom the mountains melt like wax the one who the fire goes before and consumes the enemies. I want you to envision that. I want you to envision the fire of God's glory consuming the sickness that you're believing to be healed of. Father, we worship you. We magnify your name. We glorify you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you purchased for us a complete redemption you healed us from every sickness just as you forgave us from every sin father we magnify your name ble rosh namugama mendra mestes sesa kebebe bre memingama mandura mestes sesa sama maba mandura bastes sa meindre memingrema meindre gosh tataralala poi dendro Rebebek bek s so graminga baby being kraminga, mama mendro moosh ta da 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 la bo, meh moosh ta manga mama la bo, re shoshka mama mandos tata ta shosh 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 rebe, Neto ta manga mama mundur obest s s kinga mendro moosh ta da la ro Lord. We take this action in obedience to your word. We thank you. Lord Jesus, that you are the healer. We thank you that as we declare. A perfect redemption. A healing redemption. Over each and every one of these people tonight. We thank you that that prayer, that vow of faith, that declaration of faith. Shall heal each one. Lord, we place each one in your hands for you to raise up in Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. We minister healing in the name of Jesus to you. Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses. And by his stripes you were healed. Therefore, we declare... That you were healed from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Made every whit whole. In Jesus name. We we'll lay hands on our sister. And we declare that she is healed. By the stripes of Jesus. According to the word of God. Jesus took her infirmities. And bore her sicknesses. And with his stripes. She is healed now. We minister healing to our sister. We declare in the authority of the word of God that Jesus took her infirmities and bore her sicknesses and with his stripes she is healed. Thank you Lord for raising her up. We lay hands on our brother in the name of Jesus. and In obedience to his word we minister healing to him now. We thank You, Lord, that Jesus took His infirmities and bore His sicknesses and with His stripes He is now healed. Thank You, Lord, for raising Him up. Lord, we lay hands on our sister. We declare that she's healed by the stripes of Jesus. Thank You that that declaration of faith heals our sister And Lord, we place her in your hands to raise her up in Jesus' precious name. Lord, we lay hands on our sister in the name of Jesus. We declare by faith in your word that Jesus took her infirmities and bore her sicknesses. And with his stripes, she is healed. Thank you, Lord, for raising her up in Jesus' name. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, we lay hands on our sister and minister healing to her. We declare, according to the word of God, she is healed by the stripes of Jesus. We thank you for raising her up. In Jesus' name. Lord, we lay hands on this sister. We thank you that she's healed by the stripes of Jesus. That declaration raises, causes her to be healed. And we thank you, Lord, that you raise her up. In Jesus' precious name. Lord, we lay hands on our brother. Thank you. And we minister healing. According to your word, Jesus took his infirmities. And I need you to be quiet and receive. Hallelujah. If you're putting out, you can't take him. Father, in Jesus' name, we lay hands on our brother. We minister healing to him. According to the word of God, Jesus took his infirmities and bore his sicknesses. And with his stripes, our brother is healed. Thank you, Lord, for raising him up. In Jesus' precious name. Lord, we lay hands on our brother. In obedience to your word, we anoint him with oil, even as the word instructs us to do. And we declare by faith that Jesus took his infirmities and bore his sicknesses. And with his stripes, Mike is healed. Lord, we thank you that you raise him up. You said you would do it, Lord. Just as you said the prayer of faith shall save the sick, you said that you, the Lord, shall raise him up. Lord, we put him in your hands. We thank you for doing it in Jesus' name. Lord, we lay hands on our sister. According to your word, Jesus took her infirmities and bore her sicknesses, and with his stripes she is healed. Thank you, Lord, for raising her up in Jesus' precious name. We declare that she's healed now. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, we lay hands on our brother in the name of Jesus. According to the word of God, Jesus took his infirmities and bore his sicknesses. And with his stripes, our brother is healed. So, Lord, we thank you now for raising him up. In Jesus' precious name. Lord, we lay hands on our sister. And for her, the word is true. Jesus took her infirmities and bore her sicknesses and with his stripes she is healed. Thank you, Lord, for raising her up, for doing the work in Jesus' name. Lord, we lay hands on our brother. According to the word of God, Jesus took his infirmities and bore his sicknesses and with his stripes our brother is healed. Thank you, Lord, for raising him up. In Jesus' name. Lord, we lay hands on our sister in Jesus' name. I thank you that she's healed by the stripes of Jesus. and We thank you for raising her up now. In the name of Jesus. Lord, we lay hands on our sister. According to your word, Jesus took her infirmities and bore her sicknesses. And with his stripes, she is healed. Thank you that our declaration of faith heals the sick. And that you, Lord, raise her up in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You? Father, we lay hands on our sister. We anoint her with all in the name of the Lord. We thank you that Jesus took her infirmities and bore her sicknesses. And with his stripes, she is healed. Thank you, Lord, for raising her up. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, I agree with my brother that which we have already prayed that the power of MS has been broken over his life, that you are raising him up now, and that our brother is healed in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Now, Lord, we prayed for these in obedience to your word. So now we place them in your hands. Jesus, You're the healer. No man can heal. But we thank You now, once again, that Your Word says that You shall raise them up. I thank You, Father, that the fire of God is put it to work in their lives to consume sickness and disease. If the mountains melt like wax, Father, before Your Word... We thank you that sickness does as well. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. Hallelujah. Lord, we magnify your name. We worship you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your healing power. We thank you, Lord. For making good in Your Word in each one of their lives. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. Blessed be the name. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Seated upon the throne. Oh Lord, we bless You. We magnify Your name. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain for our sins, who redeemed us from sickness. Hallelujah. Blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. Blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. Blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. Blessed be your name. Jesus, the healer. Jesus, our Savior. Jesus, our Deliverer. Hallelujah. Father, Your Word says that You are an all-consuming fire. We thank You that the fire of God consumes sickness in each and every one of their lives. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Was it done? You're in the hands of the Lord now. Is it the Allstate commercial? You're in good hands with Allstate? You're in good hands when you're in the hands of the Lord. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.